This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself, and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one that we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. We are starting a series on the book of Galatians that's going to take us all the way through this summer. We'll take a few breaks on Mother's Day and Father's Day, but in May, June, and July, we're going to be diving into this book. If you look on your chairs, there's a sheet of paper that looks like this. Um, I would encourage you maybe take this, fold it, stick it in your Bible. Um, this is just a, a neat little breakdown. It tells you who wrote the book, how many chapters are in it, the period, uh, the time that it was written, who its author is. Um, it gives you a little bit of a breakdown of the book of that of Galatians. And at the very bottom, it shows you some of even the most popular verses in the book of Galatians and then how they um, link to like the rest of the Bible. So it's just a fun little resource that you can kind of keep in your Bible with you as we're going through this series together. Um, I, we're really going to take some time to grasp this vitally important book. This is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. It's also one of the most important books in the whole Bible because this is one of Paul's greatest defenses of the gospel, the good news. We're going to find that a group of people has come to uh, the area of Galatia and they have kind of undermined Paul's ministry and they've started to teach something that isn't truth. They're teaching a gospel that is no gospel at all. And so over the next few weeks and months, we're going to tackle that and really dive into that and see how forcefully Paul argues and defends the true gospel. And so I, if you're a note taker, this would be a great series to take a lot of good notes on. Uh, we're not going to make it too, too far today. We're going to look at a lot of background information um, and, and dive into even some of the initial questions. Um, but if you would stand with me this morning, um, I want to read just one more time to you uh, just the first few sections from here in Galatians. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up to Galatians 1. It won't be on the screen but I just want to read it to you just real quickly, and then I'm, we'll ask a question, and then you can kind of greet each other. This is how it, Paul begins this book, and he says, This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or by any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. 
Paul is writing to us, and, and he's writing to the Galatian church, and he's letting them know, listen to me, I, I'm an apostle, and I'm writing to you, and I, my authority to write on this has been given by Jesus Christ himself, and that's going to make even more sense as we go on here in the next few weeks. But there is truth that is jam-packed in this book that is for you and that is for me. There's hope because the gospel is still good news, still good news for us today. So let's pray. Father, we ask and invite your Holy Spirit to just come and invade this place. We ask that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray that it would become living, powerful, and alive to each and every one of our hearts. God, I pray that today we would leave as changed people as we encounter your word and we see Paul's passion for the gospel. Jesus, we invite you to speak to our hearts. In your precious and most holy name we pray. Amen. Before you grab a seat, would you turn to the person next to you? Where is the best fast food restaurant to get French fries from? I'm a firm believer it's McDonald's, but they have to be piping hot. Give it like five minutes after you buy it, and it's no longer the best anymore. <laughs> and yet those things can last in your car for like 17 years without even changing, which scares me to death. It's like <laughs> that is just unnatural. That should not be the case. <laughs> All right. Well, my hope with this series, um, I, I hope that you walk away by the end of July having a deep, deep love for the book of Galatians. I hope it becomes a treasure to your heart. Um, I, I, just, I just really believe that. But in order for us to really understand Galatians, we have to understand the backdrop. What is happening, why this book was even written, who it was written to, and, and why that's important. And, and, I, and sometimes people can get bored with history, not me. I, I'm actually a history major. I love history. History explains a lot, but to understand this book, we have to understand its setting. But let me explain to you why that's so important. Imagine I took you to a packed movie theater, okay? So it's not COVID. <laughs> I take you to a packed movie theater, let's just say like two years ago, at the release of a very important movie, but I take you in in the last five minutes, Right? And, and I bring you in, you have no concept of the movie, you have no concept of its story or what's going on whatsoever, and I bring you into the movie theater, and I kind of bring you up front, and I have you just spin around and kind of like look at the crowd, and then that scene happens. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the most pivotal moment in the whole movie. Either someone dies, or they finally kiss, or there's that moment, like, and then like you get the audience's reaction. Anybody ever cried in a movie before? Come on, let's just read Marley and me. Oh my gosh, that was my dog. And when that dog died, I was a hot mess. And it was great because I was sitting next to a 16-year-old boy on a date. And he was doing everything he could not to cry. He's punching himself in the leg. So now I'm sobbing, but I'm laughing. I'm like dying laughing. An angel who's crying next to me goes, why are you laughing? Right? And I, I point to the kid and then she starts laughing. So we're both sobbing tears because the dog is just, I probably should have warned you. If you've not seen Marley and me, the dog dies. Um, <laughs> but, we, but if you walked into that movie and I brought you in at that pivotal moment, that moment would be lost on you. If you're a Star Wars fan, the moment when Han Solo was killed by his son, if you had no concept of that story and I just bring you in, you'd be like, oh, okay, Harrison Ford died. And you're not emotionally invested because you don't know 
the backstory. Backstory is vital. It's important. It tells you about the characters. It tells you about their history. It gets you invested into the story. And backdrop is made up of both history and context. And when we study the Bible, we need to know about the book that we're reading. We need to know what type of literature it is. We need to know who it was written to, why this book was written, um, who wrote it, what's going on, what, what are they facing, what are they experiencing, what's the test or the trial that they're going through, what are the people experiencing it, and why is the author using these words for them. I want you to think of it from the importance of knowing backstory to your own story. There are things about you that I could never understand until I know your story. There's some of you, there's a part of your story that's linked to a moment, or it's linked to something that happened in your life, and maybe it's even linked to an object that, like, for anyone else, that moment or that thing wouldn't seem like much, but when they know the story behind that thing, it makes sense. I'll give you an example of this. To most people, this is a bottle of Jones soda. (laughs) It's green apple which is weird. It's like green apple soda. It's actually really good. Uh, But this is more than a bottle of soda. Whenever um, me and my wife were dating, uh, my family, we ended up moving to Indiana my senior year. We'd already been dating for a few years, and uh, I I knew that I wanted to marry her. I'm not sure she knew yet she wanted to marry me. I was still working on that. Um, But underneath, uh, it's kind of like Snapple, underneath the Jones sodas, there's like a little saying or there's something if you twist off the cap. I'm not going to do that with this one because it's an important bottle to me. Um, but when if you twist off the cap, there's something. And I had just moved back to Ohio to be near her and uh, to go to college and ideally eventually to marry her. And we had went to Panera Bread and they had sold Jones soda and, and I took off the cap and the cap had said, and this was like the week I just moved back to Akron, the cap said a distant romance will soon blossom, <laughs> right? It was one of those like, oh, it's us, babe. You know, you're, you're like <laughs> type of a thing. And so it always became like a running joke between me and her. Well, whenever I asked her to marry me, I went to jonesoda.com and I had them put our picture on a batch of soda. And so on the front, it's got a picture of us. Look how, look how young I was. Yeah, and skinny. There was a day. Um, <laughs> But on the back of it, where it would be ingredients, this is what it says. It says, Angel, I love you so much. I want to wake up next to you every morning for the rest of my life. You mean everything to me. You are my God-sent love. Will you marry me? I love you forever, Josh. This is more than a can of soda to us. This is part of our story. Now, what happened was I took her to Damon's, and um, we were getting ready to eat some ribs, and I had the waiter come and bring the bottle out, and I'm like super excited and nervous, you know, hand, palms are sweating, and I'm like, what, you know, what's going to happen? And they sit in front of her, and she goes, I didn't order that. <laughs> she, didn't even look, she didn't even look at the picture, right? <laughs> she's looking at the soda, and she's like, I didn't order that. And I'm just like, babe, will you look at the picture? And she's like, Josh, I don't want it. I didn't order that. I ordered a tea. And I'm like, please look at the picture. And she looks at the picture, and she goes, What's happening? <laughs> I got down on one knee and asked her. But, but here's the thing. When you know the story, then suddenly this becomes more than just a bottle of soda. There's something that's happening here to the Galatian church. There's something in the backdrop that's happening that's vital for us to grasp. Because as we understand it, we understand the tone of the letter. We understand 
why Paul is writing it to begin with. We understand what's going on. We're brought into the story. We're brought into the backdrop. And, and again, the backdrop is made of, of the history, what's going on. It's made of the context, and it's made of even the key characters. And so let's start with the, key, the first key character, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. So this is how it begins. It says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. And we're going to dive a little bit more into that word apostle next week and see why that's even so important because that's actually very contentious here in this book. And he says, I was not appointed by any group of people or by any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So who's the apostle Paul? Why is that important? We need to understand his backstory to even understand him writing this letter. The Apostle Paul will end up being one of the greatest missionaries the Christian church has ever seen. He did a lot of traveling. He started lots of churches, raised up lots of leaders. He's actually responsible for writing 13 of the 27 New Testament books. So he wrote a lot. And his writings are some of the most key to us understanding the gospel, which that word gospel just means good news. It's the message of how we are saved and, and, and why we are saved and what that looks like. Um, and so his writings are key to us to understand that. Um, he writes in the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a book that's just basically detailing out piece by piece by piece by piece what the gospel is. Galatians, he's going to talk a little bit about that. But in Galatians, in this book, he's actually defending the gospel from people who have twisted it to mean something that it's not. Now, Paul was born a Jew. Um, he belonged to the, the, the tribe of Benjamin. So there's 12 tribes in Israel. Benjamin was one of them. And his former name before being Paul was Saul. And, and Saul, at that time, whenever it, growing up, um, he was named for his biblical namesake, which is a, a king from Israel from way back by the name of King Saul, who was also from the tribe of Benjamin. He was from a city called Tarshish. And he was brought up in a Jewish family during the diaspora, which was where an estimated 4.5 million Jews were scattered throughout all of the Roman Empire. He learned the trade of tent making, but then he went to his local synagogue and he got his religious training. He excelled at it so much, they ended up sending him to Jerusalem to train underneath the Pharisaic scholar Gamaliel. Okay? And his name, Gamaliel, actually stands for the glory of the law. This man was a renowned teacher, and he, he raised Paul up to be this incredible Pharisee that would be defending the law. And so Paul, by the age of like 12, most likely had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Memorized, which that's just insane. I mean, if you open your Bible and then go through the first five and just hold the thickness of that, that's pretty intense. He was, this was his life, and he was dramatically against the Christian church. He hated Christians, despised them. There's a man named Stephen who was one of the first martyrs for Christ. And he was stoned to death. And the Bible tells us that sitting there was Saul, who would later become Paul. And people threw their coats at his feet as he watched on in enjoyment, watching this man be killed because of his belief in Jesus. Not only did he just enjoy that, but, but he, he beca it became his life's goal to go around and to arrest Christians, to drag them from their homes, to bring them out. These people at the time, they called themselves, uh, instead of Christians, they were called the way. 
And so he would go from city to city with papers to find anyone who followed the way to drag them out, drag them to court, and hopefully eventually to kill them because he wanted to stamp out Christianity. So one day as he's going to Damascus and as he's on his way there, he's blinded by a light. He's completely knocked down. And then as he um, as he's looking at this, he, he's like, what, what is happening on? He says, and God starts to speak to him and he says, Lord, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. In that moment, his life is forever transformed. Three days later, a man comes and prays for him, and it says, like, scales fall off of his eyes, and he's able to finally see again. And from that point on, he is the exact opposite of what he was before. He went from number one enemy of the Christian church to, like, the number one spreader of the gospel. This is a guy who has some of the most crazy stories all throughout the New Testament. At one point in time, he gets shipwrecked. He arrives on the shore of the island of Malta, He's making a fire. A viper jumps out, bites him in the arm. Everyone's like, oh, man, this must be a terrible person because the gods saved him from the sea, and now the viper is going to kill him. And Paul's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> he doesn't die. Then they try to worship him as a god, and he's like, stop. <laughs> There's only one god. We need to worship him. And he goes around preaching the good news around the island. This is who he was. He went from persecutor and hating Christians too on that. So I, I want you to see this from his story. It says this in Acts chapter 9. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that he found out any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. He goes from number one persecutor to number one missionary. And he goes on these missionary journeys, and actually some commentators believe that before he was saved, he actually was a missionary, a zealot missionary for the Pharisees, and that he had traveled around, and that his missionary travels actually were a mere image, going back to the places that he had falsely teached against Christ. Now he goes back to teach who Christ really is. Paul becomes one of the greatest missionaries. And what he would do is he would go to a city, he would start in a synagogue, he would teach about Jesus, and then they would throw him out. <laughs> and after that, then he would start going to the Gentiles and he would raise up churches, he would raise up leaders, he would stay in that area for a while, and then when he would leave, he would write letters back to those churches to provide pastoral guidance, to correct issues, to encourage them, or if they were going absolutely crazy, he'd be like, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> right moms and dads you know what i'm talking about like there's those moments where like you love your kids to death but you're like stop it right paul occasionally had to do that there's some instances where he had to do that now so that's who's writing it but let's look who he's writing to galatia it says all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of galatia may the god the father and the lord jesus christ give you grace and peace galatia was a region not a city 
most of Paul's other letters were either written to individuals or to a specific church in a city. But Galatia was actually a region. We're going to show you this on, uh, there's going to be a map on the screen. So in the Roman Empire, this whole green section here would be considered Galatia with all these different cities, Lystra, Iconium, Derby, um, Antioch, all this area, it would be the area that's considered Galatia. And so when he's writing to the churches in Galatia, he's writing to the churches all in that green region. Unlike the like the, when you get to the book of Corinthians or the book of Ephesians, it's written to the city of Corinth or the, to the city of Ephesus or Philippians to the city of Philippi. This is actually written to a specific, not to a specific church or to a specific city. It's written to an actual region, a region that he was very familiar with. As you can kind of see from each of his missionary journeys, he went through the Galatian region. And it, this was a term that covered all the citizens of that area. Paul had deep history in this area. Um, Galatia was primary Gentile. It did have some Jewish people that lived in the area. Um, but most people were worshiping pagan gods at temples that surrounded the area. And Paul, again, would go first to the synagogue. And once the Jews kicked him out, he would go to the surrounding areas. And I want you to read with me from Acts chapter 14. And this is describing one of Paul's missionary journeys to Galatia. Watch how crazy this is. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. This is in Galatia. Speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Again, this is in Acts chapter 14. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and others with the apostles. And there was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them, being Paul and his companions, and to stone them. So they wanted to murder them. But they found out about it, and they fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, again, still in Galatia, where they continued to preach the gospel. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Can you imagine this picture? Like Paul's trying to tell them about Jesus and they're bringing bowls to the city gate ready to like slaughter them and sacrifice. And Paul's like, stop, <laughs> like, please don't do this. This is not a good, not a good thing. Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this. They tore their clothes and they rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things and to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and he fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium, again, Galatia, and they, they came and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and they dragged him outside the city thinking that he was dead. I love this. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. 
The next day, he and Bartimus then left for a derby again in Glacier. I don't know about you, but if someone tries to kill me by throwing rocks at me, I'm leaving that area. <laughs> right? I'm taking that as a sign going, I am not wanted here. <laughs> I will be leaving you all. Thank you very much. Where's the nearest hospital? Paul's like, I'm going back in the city. Goes back in the city the next day, I'll go to the next town in Glacier. That's the kind of man that he was. That's how changed by the gospel he was. He counted his life as nothing compared to telling other people what Jesus had done. You're here today because of the Apostle Paul's message, because of his passion for seeing the gospel come to people who are far from Christ. All that happened in Galatia. He had a deep love for that area. He had sacrificed much in that area. So Galatians, at its core, it's a letter. Paul wrote letters, again, to churches and then to people. I'll give you an example. So he wrote 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. All of those were written to churches. So they were written to a specific church, okay? And then to people, he wrote 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. So that was a letter that he wrote to a specific person. Galatians is not written to a specific city or to a specific person. It was written to that region of churches. Now, because it's a letter, I want you to think about this with me. Why do we write letters? When you write a letter to someone, why do you choose that method, especially in today's time? It says a little bit more than a text message, right? It says a little bit more than an email. It even says a little bit more than a phone call. A letter is a way for us to convey some of the deepest feelings and things that are on our heart. It conveys deep love. We write letters to bring encouragement to them. Think about it. When you show up at a birthday party, you could just be like, here's your gift. Thank you very much. <laughs> right? But oftentimes we give a gift along with a card, which is a letter. We write in it. Graduations, birthdays, anniversaries. Maybe you write a letter to someone when they get a, an important uh, promotion or there's an important date that's happening in life. Maybe, maybe they've been sober now for like three years and you write them a letter to congratulate them, right? We do these things to convey a deep sense of what's going on. A letter is the most personal form of all of literature. It takes time. It means that we care. If I'm going to send it to someone and I'm going to sit down and really think through my words and what I want to say, it's saying that they mean something to me, that I care about them, that I deeply love them. You see, the, the importance and the beauty of a letter is it does this. It gives you time to think about what you really want to say and then filter it. It gives you the opportunity and space. Maybe, you know, if it's, an, if it's a letter that's like a, a little bit angry, <laughs> hopefully you haven't had to write many of those. But if it is, it gives you time to write it out a little bit and think through what you want to say before you finally send it. It also gives the reader time and space to think about what you've said. The letter can be read and read and reread. And it's your words. They can't twist them because it's there. It's concrete. Well, I think you said, no, no, no. Let me show you what I said. <laughs> it's one of those things. If it's advice, challenge, or correction, it can come back to, and that reader can come back to it, and they can read your exact words again and again and again. Um, 
you know, and oftentimes in conversation, we can kind of insert words that people really didn't say. And we're like, well, I think you said <laughs> a letter stops that from happening. And for the Apostle Paul, the reason he writes letters is to encourage, to strengthen, and then sometimes to provide correction or to fix an issue. I'll give you an example. He writes to Timothy a letter of encouragement. First and second Timothy, he's encouraging him as a pastor to keep on, to preach the word of God, to speak truth. The book of 1 Corinthians is a letter where he's actually doing a lot of correcting to a church that's kind of broken. They've made a lot of mistakes. And he's going, hey, we need to fix some things and we need to fix it quick. In fact, he writes two letters of correction to them. Galatians is an instance where it's not even just a letter of correction like, you, this is one of Paul's most furious, urgent writings. You're going to hear throughout this, this letter that we're going to dive into. Um, one commentator says, uh, when Paul writes, it sounds like thunder. <laughs> right? We, you read his words, and it sounds like there's like an, a storm in the background. Galatians would be like a tornado. Okay? As he writes this, there's, you can feel there's a sense of urgency behind him because what he sees happening is so serious and so costly that the people who are twisting the words of scripture, he's going, it can create eternal damnation. He's like, this has to be addressed. He's going to use very, very fierce language in this letter. And again, reminding us, though, it's not written to us. It was written to a specific area and a specific time. That doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to us. Rather, we have to understand what it meant for them and place ourselves in their shoes to understand how it applies to us. This is a beautiful and important thing. Think of it like this. Um, the greatest love song that was ever written was not written to you. But we can all grab hold of those and it still means something to us. Because what was meant for that one can kind of come back to us as well. This is a very beautiful thing. It was written to one person, often someone we've never even known, yet the words resonate with our soul. It's the reason when you listen to different songs, it resonates with you. Now, how these letters were written is that Paul himself actually didn't write the letter. He would, he would, uh, would kind of like, he'd be in a room with a scribe, and the scribe would write down what, what he's dictating to this person. This was very commonplace. This happened all the time. And Paul wrote almost all of his with this. But what's really interesting, we're going to dive into a little bit here, is Paul actually ends the book of Galatians in his own handwriting. And we're going to talk about the significance of that in just a second. But he would dictate this to a scribe, and the scribes would then write it. And this was, again, very, very common that happened. What we need to understand is the sound of this letter. It's urgent. It's passionate. It's full of energy. Galatians is a passionate letter. It's the outpouring of the soul of a pastor who's saying, I care deeply about what's going on. We have to get this fixed. Um, let me give you an example. Um, Paul's immensely infuriated by these false teachers, and he's utterly astounded that the people have followed them. Think of it this way. Um, remember when you were a kid and your parents were away? And you got into a little bit of trouble. And then a phone call came, right? 
I don't know who it was, mom or dad, the one you feared the most, the one that spanked harder, um, <laughs> right? You get that phone call, and like, they're not even there. They're not even seeing what's going on, but they've caught wind. You know what I'm talking about? You know how your mom or your dad had that tone, right? Like, you couldn't even see their face. You couldn't see the facial expressions, but you heard it, and like, you, you're on the other end of the phone, and you're kind of like, huh, and then you hear the tone, and you're like, right? This is a little bit what this sound of the letter is kind of like, right? It's that moment where there, it's forceful, it's urgent, it's passionate, and even in moments, it's angry. That tone, as we use sometimes as a parent, it has a purpose. It's saying, you better stop immediately what's going on, right? There's been times I'm driving down the road in my truck, and I can't even see in the rearview mirror what's going on with my kids, and I'm like, you better stop it right now, right? There's like that tone. It's like, you got to stop it immediately. Paul's writing this to put a stop immediately to what's happening, to put corrective measure in place, and to cause his recipients to pause and to contemplate their actions. He writes to those who are believing wrong, and he's also speaking to those who are teaching wrong. So let's talk about the problem. We're going to spend a lot of weeks uncovering the problem, but here's the problem at hand. Paul has come to Galatia, he's went to these churches, and he's taught them the gospel. He's taught them what it means to be saved. He's taught them that, that you're saved by faith through grace. There's not a thing you could ever, 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 ever do to earn your salvation. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. There's not a thing you can add to it. You're saved by grace through faith. As you put your trust in saying, I believe that Jesus died on the cross completely, totally, 100% fully for my sins. He took every wrong thing that I've ever done and that God placed it upon him. And that in doing so, I inherited the righteousness of Christ. He preaches this. He goes around. Now, he absolutely, from salvation comes sanctification, which is the process where we become more like Christ. Paul absolutely believes in sanctification. But he also teaches there's not a thing you can do to the process to become saved other than faith in Jesus. But a group of Judaizers have come in his wake after he has left, and they've started teaching in the Galatian churches, hey, so Paul's not really like the best person for Christianity. He kind of taught you a little wrong. It takes a little bit more than faith. You've got to become a Jew. Specifically, you've got to become circumcised. You have to do something to truly be saved. You, so it becomes a Jesus and fill in the blank. Because guess what? We do this in modern times too. Paul would be writing to some churches. Anytime you insert anything other than what Christ has accomplished that will do anything to save you, we've got an issue. And Paul's writing to them and he's saying, listen, these people who have crept in after me, they're preaching something that's not the gospel and it has to stop now. He's preaching specifically. There's this problem because not only have these teachers started to come in, but the Galatian church, it's still young in its infancy. And they're like, oh, well, that kind of sounds right. I guess we need to do this. And so they're starting to follow on, and they start now thinking that what they started in faith, they can continue with their work. I can earn my salvation by what I'm doing. That's a problem. Paul is writing to this, and it's, so this book is vital. He's left this group, and they're claiming, again, number one, they're claiming that Paul's not an apostle, 
which we're going to uncover that. And they're also claiming, again, this other form of the gospel, which Paul blatantly is like, that's no gospel at all. The book of Galatians is vital to the New Testament. It's vital to our understanding, and it keeps us from error. It's vital to understanding what it means to be saved, how we're saved. So the question then finally we get to is this. Why is Paul so passionate? Acts 20, 24 says, But I do not count my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Those are Paul's words. And then here in Galatians chapter 6, I want you to notice what it says here. Notice what large letters, and the reason this is all in caps is because you might find this in your Bible. They, they capitalized it this way to show you there's a change in how that was written. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. There's a reason I gave you the very end of the book on our very first sermon, when we're going to be here all the way till the end of summer. Can we go back one slide? Notice what large letters I use as I write these words in my own handwriting. In Galatia, Paul was stoned for the gospel. It was one of the most brutal forms of death. Um, as the Sanhedrin would continue to grow, they said any um, one of the Jewish councils that condemned a man to die, one in seven years would be a tragedy. In fact, they went in so far as to say to condemn a man to die by stoning one in 70 years was even still a tragedy. It was something that they hated to do. It's something they didn't want to do. There was a couple different ways that stoning would take place in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The first, the primary legally used way, is they would take you to a large building and they would throw you off of it onto stones underneath you. The hope being that you would die from the fall. But if it didn't, the two witnesses that witnessed the atrocious crime that you had committed would pick up a boulder and they would drop it off that same ledge on top of you to crush you. The second way, which was typically the way that a mob would use, is there would be a pit that would be dug to about your chest level. You'd be thrown into the pit, and if you had committed a crime that um, you didn't necessarily confess to, but that you were judged that way. The first person had the third, the first stone was the judge himself. They did that as a way to safeguard your innocence because no one wants to be responsible for another person's death. But what you would do is you were thrown into that pit. The crowd that would surround you would take the stones and they would throw it and they would pelt you and then they would keep pelting you until you were deemed dead. Paul comes to Galatia and he starts telling the gospel. He starts in the synagogue and he's kicked out. He gets word 
that the local Jews hate him so much they're planning to stone him to death. So he starts traveling to all the other towns in Galatia to spread the good news. And he starts taking it to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, they immediately realize, because they realize they're broken and they need God, they instantaneously start seeing the works and the miracles that are happening through Paul, not because of Paul, but through Paul. And they think he's a God. And remember that? They start bringing the bulls and they're getting ready to sacrifice to him. And he's like, stop, stop, stop. I am not God, but let me tell you about God. The Jews hear about where he's at. They stir up the crowd. The crowd stones thrown into the pit one by one rock is pelted smashes him in the face Devin can you catch this for me when something's thrown at you what's your natural response duck and block imagine the apostle Paul as he's blocking his face as stone after stone is unleashed on him. It's bloodied. His hands are mangled. I've got a, I've got this finger right here. I used to work at Target unloading semis. <laughs> One day I wasn't paying attention and we were at the last wall and I went to grab a box and I thought it was just empty space behind it and I slammed my finger into the wall and it shattered the bone. Kept working because I was young and dumb. Um, went to the doctor afterwards and they did an x-ray and they told me, not broken at all. You need to uh, move it as often as possible. So the next day I went and played tackle football. <laughs> as soon as I finished playing football, I pick up my phone and I have a missed message, a voicemail, and it's from the doctor saying, we re-looked at the x-rays. It's bad. Please put it in a splint and don't move it at all. <laughs> To this day, my finger hurts. If I put any pressure on it like this at all, it kills. This thumb, I've torn the ligament. It kind of pops in and out. Um, did that playing basketball. And, <laughs> and the doctor was like, well, we can fix that for about five grand. And I'm like, what's my other option? He goes, just keep popping it until it doesn't hurt. And I'm like, done. Um, <laughs> because of that, I don't have the greatest of grip in my right hand. Can we go back to that last slide? Can we go back to the, the previous slide, the scripture? Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting, and then one more slide over. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. See, Apostle Paul brings this letter to a close and the people are so dear to him. He takes his mangled hand, he grabs that pencil and he's probably holding it almost in a fist. He's writing in large letters, Paul. I'm gonna finish this with my own hand. What I want you to hear is this. The gospel meant something to Paul. He cared so deeply about this message that is entrusted to us because it's the only way we can be saved. How counterintuitive is it that you have just been, for a period of minutes, 
beaten with rocks to the point that everyone that's around you assumes you're dead. They've checked to make sure you're dead. They leave you there, your corpse. God miraculously raises you. You get up, wipe the blood from your eyes, and you walk back into the same city that just did it to you. And then the next day, go to the next city, still beaten up, still bleeding, still bruised, still mangled, to go tell the good news. Listen to me. The Apostle Paul, he loved the Galatian church and he loved you. It cost him something. It would eventually cost him his life. It cost the disciples something. Eleven of the twelve disciples will be martyred for their faith in some of the most horrendous ways. Some will be sawed in half. Some will be plunged with spears to their death. Peter, history tells us that he was crucified, but he didn't want to be crucified the same way that Jesus was because he didn't feel himself to be worthy. So he asked to be crucified upside down. Listen to me something. If the faith that we stand for and that we believe in, if it was all a lie, if Jesus really didn't raise from the dead, do you think that people would be willing to take stones to the face to be murdered to be the Apostle John, to be boiled alive for their faith if they knew it was all a lie? No. The answer is no one, no one in this room would give up your life for a lie. But for the truth, the truth about a God who rescued us in our brokenness, the truth about a God who met you at your deepest, darkest place, the truth about a God that says there's not a thing you can do to be saved, but if you'll put your faith in me, I'll do all of it for you. That's worth giving our life the Apostle Paul knew that. As he writes this letter to the Galatian church, he writes to them with a passion and even a fury because of his love for them. Listen, you know this. The people you love the most, you're willing to do the most insane things for. Paul loved the Galatian church and he saw what was happening and it was so near and dear to his heart that he's like, I have to write them. They have to understand the importance of this gospel, that it is through faith in Jesus alone that can save you. Absolutely, yeah, we need to be changed after we're saved. We need to grow and become more like Christ. But there's not a thing that you can do to earn your salvation. There's not a good work you could ever do that's going to earn God's love. It is freely given to you in Jesus Christ with what Christ accomplished on the cross. Paul took stones to the face to get that message to you to get that message to me. And as he writes the Galatian church, he can tell them of his deep love for them because he has paid a deep price for them. Paul ends Galatians with his own hand with giant letters. Maybe the gospel doesn't mean just as much to us because maybe we've invested so little. There's people in our lives right now they're across the street from you. They're your neighbor. They're the people that sit in the cubicle next to you at work. They're a friend that you've known for 30 years. They're a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew. They're someone who's hurting and that's broken, that's far from God. And you and I, we have a treasure. 
the news was God can save you based on your merit and effort, I'm in big trouble. So are you. <laughs> I've got a list of sins a mile long that discredit me from ever earning or deserving God's love. But it doesn't matter because I've got a Savior who has rescued me, ransomed me, redeemed me, and saved me. I've got good news. I've got good news that's worth telling, that's worth taking. I've got good news that's worth reaching out to this world. There's people in our life that need to hear this good news. We need to hear this good news. We need to be changed. Would you stand with me this morning as we bring this to a close? dive into this book and we're going to see incredible beauty as Paul's going to defend the most important thing in our world the gospel Paul says as for me I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ because of that cross my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died that stoning not Paul's first brush with death and it wouldn't be his last he'd be whipped he'd be constantly beaten he'd be thrown in prison cells he'd be bitten by a viper he'd be shipwrecked at sea and in each moment in every single spot none of it bothered him none of them phased it not any suffering that he encountered did he even remotely blink an eye at because he had the gospel still to take to people who needed it. It's one of my favorite stories ever. Um, Paul and Silas have just allowed God to perform a miracle through their ministry and because of it, they're stripped naked and they're beaten with wooden rods. That doesn't sound like a fun day to me. I don't know about you, but that's like, like that's a bad Monday, <laughs> right? They're thrown into prison. They're sitting there in shackles, not in, an not in a comfortable spot. And I don't know about you, but I, I'd be kind of bemoaning myself to God going like, really, God, I was trying to do something for you and this is what happens. Like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, that, really? Like, that, that would be my perspective on it. But you see, the Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he'd been through a lot worse than I've ever been through, and he realized the gospel is more important than anything. I love it. Because that night, it says that as they're in, they're in prison, he, he kind of, he does one of these, like he does a little elbow to Silas, and he's like, <laughs> hey, Silas, you want to sing a song together? <laughs> oh, man, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall of that cell. If I'm Silas, I'm like, Paul, will you just shut up? <laughs> I'm here because of you. <laughs> right? It would be one of those moments, right? Like, I'd be like, you got to be kidding me, dude. Like, we're, sing, we're, at, we're naked in jail, in shackles. I've got blood on my back. I've got be, there's no way I'm singing. And Paul's like, I'm going to pick a song. <laughs> they start singing, and their shackles fall off. Doors open. I don't know about you, but that moment I'm running. It's midnight. 
I forgot that part. It's midnight. <laughs> Paul's singing at midnight. I've been on a lot of youth retreats. When people start singing at midnight, I get angry. <laughs> right? I'm just like, whoever that kid is, they don't want to go home this weekend. They, they want to die, right? No, <laughs> no. it's midnight, and, and they bust out of their cells. The natural response is run for your life. The guard comes down. He's terrified because his prisoners are going to be gone, and he knows he's going to be killed for it. Paul goes, chill, chill. We're all here. I ain't going nowhere. But let me tell you about Jesus. And the jailer and his whole household become followers of Christ. The gospel cost him something, but it gave him so much more. Today, who, who in your life needs Jesus? Who in your life needs you to take the gospel to? Who in your life needs us to, it doesn't matter that it's midnight, it doesn't matter that I just got stoned, it doesn't matter that I've been beaten, it doesn't matter that I've had a bad day, it doesn't matter that I've had a bad week, it doesn't matter that I didn't get the promotion I didn't want, it doesn't matter. What matters is that the gospel goes to those who are hurting and broken. Who in your life needs the message of Jesus? Man, we have freedom in Christ that I can't even describe in words. I have hope beyond my greatest failure and my darkest moment. I have hope beyond my deepest loss. It doesn't matter who in my life, if they were to die, I have hope because I can see them one day for eternity in the presence of Jesus. I have hope. I have something that cannot be taken from me. No bad day can take it. No wrong word can take it. Not the darkest of hell. Not my deepest of sin. Nothing can steal my hope because I have it firmly planted in Jesus Christ. That he died and he rose from the dead. And because of that, I have life. And there's people in our life that they need that message. Who can we take it to? Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that this morning you would burn in our heart a deepened passion for the gospel. That, Jesus, we would take this message to a world that's hurting and that's broken. God, we would take this message to a city, Hartford City, to a county, Blackford County, to a state, Indiana, and to a nation, the United States of America, that, Lord, through our giving, that we would take it to the world through missionaries who are taking that to tribes who have never even heard the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would burden us a desire to see this gospel continue on and to move into all the world. God, would you burn it into us? Would you use us for your kingdom? God, I pray that we would be shaped and molded, that we would understand the vital importance of this message we carry. In your precious and most holy name we pray. Amen. Would you sing with me one final time this morning?